Welcome to the Exit Plan Podcast. In today's episode, I talk to Peter Kemp, Managing Director of Global 3 Digital, who shares insights into building and selling his digital corporate communications agency and how a cancer diagnosis impacted his decision to sell. He talks openly about the practicalities of negotiations, due diligence and integration. At the end of today's episode, we have another listener question answered in M&A Q&A by our resident M&A expert, Nick Berry. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Peter. I'm Peter Kemp, and thanks for asking me on to the podcast. Um, so I guess the in terms of the purpose of this podcast, um, talking about a, a business that I um, previously ran and uh, sold back in 2013, a business called Global 3 Digital, which was set up at the um, end of um, 1999, seems a long, long while ago now. Um, with the sole purpose of providing um, websites, corporate websites, investor-leading websites for quoted companies. And believe it or not, back then, late 90s, early noughties, you know, a lot of companies did not have a, a, a corporate slash investor relations website. Um, so it was quite, a, quite an interesting time and all, all of it sort of um, wild west in some respects. So was it was it brochures? Was that the main way that they communicated with their stakeholders? Yeah, um, annual reports, um, yeah. you know, regulatory releases. I mean, you know, the internet was an amazing equaliser in terms of fair disclosure, i.e. companies being able to engage with not just uh, institutional investors and stakeholders via, you know, Reuters terminals or whatever else it was, um, but also with with retail individual shareholders um, who previously would have received an annual report in the post or an interim report in the post or whatever it was, um, and to a degree, unless they attended AGMs, that would have been their the limit to their sort of in, engagement with, with with companies themselves. So when the internet came along, it opened up all sorts of opportunities for companies to, you know, engage in a if not a real time, certainly a very timely fashion with with um, uh, retail investors. Okay, so this was 2009, did you say, that you set this up? Or did I get that completely wrong? Say again. Was it 2009 you, you set yeah, it 99, up? 1999. So 99, 99, yeah, right, 99. got it. Yeah. Um, okay, so 99, and was it just, were you the, the sole founder no, 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 or no, did you no, have no, business partners? Strictly speaking, I, I wasn't the founder. So the company was set up by um, two other people. I joined in uh sort of within about six months and one of the original founders stepped away and um i took over basically running the business with um chairman who was the the major shareholder at that point and then, okay uh, and did you did you have equity yeah, did you kind of earn your way yeah, yeah absolutely built up equity over, over the years um you know and if you think back to that time there were lots of ups and downs economically so took advantage of um uh, for taking salary and, uh, and, and, and building up my equity stake. Okay. Um, and then it was 2014 that you sold That's it. That's right, yeah. So, it was a, so talk, talk to me a bit about the growth over those 15 years. Yeah, I mean, so when we, we started out, there was ourselves and a couple of other companies, one called um, Hemscot and the other one called Investus, um, who were the primary digital-only corporate comms agencies, if you like. And the three of us engaged in, in a land grab at that point um, to build up our respective um, client bases. Um, what basically happened over the period of that, of that 
intervening 13, 14 years is, you know, we all, we all grew. Um, Investus at one point, I think I might have been saying, acquired Hemscott. And so it was sort of down to, to, to them and us. And I liken it to kind of prime real estate. And we had a very, very um, central spot on the high street that was digital corporate communications. And either side was um, Investus's real estate. And, um, you know, they wanted to do all they can to to um, acquire the bit in the middle, i.e. I, 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 us. Um, so, okay. um, yeah, it was a, an, an interesting an interesting journey. Okay, and so at the, as as you were sort of approaching the sale, yeah. what kind of how many employees sure. did you have? What kind of turnover were you doing? Sure, sure. We were turning over uh, back sort of two and a half million, something like that. We had just over 30, 35 employees. Um, the last two or three years, we had you know really grown in on in, in many levels, and the business had broadened out into becoming quite a sort of consultative business, i.e. not just building corporate websites, but playing a very hands-on role in advising, you know, advising content and the whole sort of strategic, strategic piece, which meant that we were winning business in the FTSE 100 as much as, you know, lower down the food chain. And what was the mix of the, the sort of team members? Presumably you had kind of quite a few web developers, but then yep. you, what did you have client facing yeah. account managers or exactly what did it look a great like? team of web developers um, um, led by our, our, our CTO. And then we had a, a whole account management team who were there to look after the clients because our business was in terms of revenues, it was probably roughly 50, 50 one-off and subscription revenue. And the subscription revenue came from um, being responsible for looking after the content on a, on a company's website. So um, for a lot of our companies, they outsourced the ongoing content management to us, um, which meant we had a team who were there mirroring stock exchange opening hours and, and indeed outside of those hours to always make sure that the, the website was either up to date or would be up to date in tandem with um, regulatory stock exchange announcements. So it's quite a high pressured um, environment to ensure that you know, that all happened in a, in a really um, timely and efficient fashion for, for the client. But it did mean we had a great business model insofar as recurring revenues alongside the one-off revenue for the, all the creative work. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that then affected the subsequent valuation. So how did so were you approached then by by this competitor? Of yeah, yours? We, how, how did that we work? We were, we were, um, we were approached um, beginning of 2014, um, and I I'll, I I'll never know for certain, but 2013 had been a bit of a rough year for me personally because I went through um, treatment for cancer, and I did bump into somebody from the other side, as it were, who must have noticed that I had no hair at that point and probably thought, oh, goodness me, what's happening to that business over there? You know, and I'm not saying that's why they decided to have a go, but it, it passed through my mind on a, a number of a number of occasions. But yeah, so we had an approach okay, initially yeah. via, I think it was via their PE investor. Um, and, you know, it was it was a quite a difficult thing to think through. One, it was it was the business was my baby and I had a lot of mouths to feed in terms of the team and had a fantastic team always was always very lucky to have a great team around me and you know it was we were a very close-knit team um and the thought i suspect of selling out to the the one company that we were always pitching against and you know i was always getting everybody ready here we go again we've got to you know we've got to win this one we've got to win this one and we were winning in fairness 
in the run up to selling a lot more against them than we were we were losing. Um, yeah, so it was it was it was it was it was an interesting it was an interesting process, an interesting mindset to have to sort of deal with. So that's interesting. That so they were private equity backed. So were they kind of bigger than you? They, or, were, they or? were definitely a lot bigger than us. I suspect they were. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I suspect they were three, four, five times bigger than bigger than us. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they 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 okay. Um, so how did the conversation go? I mean, what, what was? Well, the initial conversation <laughs> I remember was with their one of their private equity guys in a golf course off somewhere near Birmingham, and um, it was a sort of you know well, are you, aren't you type of conversation. And, you know, I was, the next day we were pitching, I remember this really well, the next day we were pitching, we were up against them. So I was in very kind of defensive mode. I was interested to hear what this guy had to say, but at the same time, I was acutely aware that tomorrow we were going after a really big piece of business and we would be up against them. Um, so that was that was always the background to the whole process, which, you know, that that was that was that was quite stressful at stressful at times. But anyway, once it kind of worked out that he they appeared kind of serious, and it made a lot. Of, I could it made a lot. Of, you know, from a business perspective, it was, we were a very logical acquisition for them, and we always knew at some point that um, they may they, they they might make overtures to us, as indeed had a couple of other businesses during that time. So as soon as they um, kicked off the conversation. Um, I also got back in touch with a couple of other companies who had been sniffing around us and um, very, very quickly established the fact that there were there were probably three players who, you know, were, were likely to, um, if, if we were to raise the for sale flag, they were likely to, to, to come in. Okay, well, that's that's a smart way of approaching it, because then you can actually get a bit of a, well, A, a comparison and B, hopefully a bit of a sort of bidding bidding war hopefully that goes in your favor um how did you go about um well a making the decision to go with them and, yeah. and b kind of uh, negotiating the valuation sure. that's fairly straightforward because um they got a sort of an initial offer letter in very very quickly and it set out the terms uh in, you know all, all cash what were their plans with the business once they bought it you know because no normally founders are tied into an earnout. Yep. you know there's normally yep. a lot of um caginess about the business continuing on in the way that it has been and all yep. that stuff yeah 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 i mean our businesses were very very similar very you know identical models theirs was just a lot larger than ours um they made it it was clear from the from the arm from the outset that you know there was there was only room for one you know M md ceo and that was the you know the very capable person that was running their their business so it was clear that i wasn't you know, I was going to be surplus to to requirements. Uh, in the okay. in the end, they did. Although this didn't come out until after the deal was done, I, they did keep me on a on a retainer for for two or three two or three years. You know, to be there where there anything to sort of um to be dealt with as as it were. Um, but the rest of the business was going to be consumed into you know in 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 into the into theirs, and obviously there was a lot of costs that could be stripped out. Um, because we were, you know, basically offering the same, the same service. While I've got you here, I just wanted to let you know a little bit about me. After having acquired a TV commercials production company earlier this year, I'm currently doing a roll-up in the video production space, and I'm looking for production companies to join my group. I also have a select group of clients that I'm advising on business growth and exit planning. So if you want to chat to me about that, get in touch with me on LinkedIn. And... 
how much did your sort of your health at the time kind of impact your decision making? Yeah, it it was it was probably quite massive in 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 the end. I you know I ha- I had a, an amazing chairman who was our you know his major shareholder, the majority shareholder, um, and he made it very clear from from the start the decision was mine as to whether or not we we sold the business. Was say was was doing really well and and, and you know more than standing up against the one or two competitors like that that we had out there. Um, to be to be honest, yeah, I think ultimately what shaped it was I'd been ill, I'd been through chemo, didn't know what my ultimate prognosis was going to be, had a very young family, two two girls under under five at the time. And, you know, um, if the deal was to go through on the basis at which they had said it would go through on, on balance, it was, um, you know, it was going to be a good thing to do because it would enable me to, you know, take a bit of time out with the family and, you know, understand where I was going to be a few years down the line, um, here or not here, as you can see, I am on, or here, I am obviously here, so it all turned out for good. Yeah. Um, but it was also, it was something I was dreading doing in terms of telling my my team, the rest of the company, you know, what we what we, what we we had done because I had to the whole sort of due diligence process with the exception of a couple of people who were more sort of consultants of the business rather than employees for the most part or hadn't been employees for a long time. The whole thing was shrouded in, in absolute secrecy. So the point at which I pulled everybody together the day after we'd signed the, done the deal and told them, I, uh, I can say it was quite an emotional, um, quite an emotional event. And a lot of them couldn't believe that I would, you know, sanctioned a sale like that to who are <laughs> our, our nearest. <laughs> I mean, did that have what impact? Did that have? did did you have anyone leave? What what sort of impact on the culture? Did there that was have? a well, you know, the business got consumed into the acquirer very very quickly with you know within days, weeks, what you know, what have you. Um, there was yeah, there were one or two. Um, there were one or two that weren't happy. I think they've they've forgiven me since, but. They were, yeah, you know, and I get it. I'd spent the whole time, you know, genuinely saying we're better than them and we can win this pitch and all the rest of it. And we were, and I still believe that. Um, and then, you know, it must have appeared slightly two-faced to one or two people for me then to have, um, you know, sold to the... <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, sold to the enemy. Sold, sold to the enemy, <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. But yeah. there we go. Um. So, were you a majority equity? No, no, at was, the point where, it's I was, where was I? I was just under thirty percent. So we had, but you were you were running the business, and yeah. therefore you had the sort of it was your decision. The, my my chairman of. made it really clear it was my decision as to whether or not we we um, we sold. Yeah. So he was. So they were not the other the other two founders. Well, one sounds like was not one involved was not at all, involved, and the chairman was just chairman. Yeah. And he, was he sort of non-exec, or was he? Yeah, he, he was. He was non-exec. He was non-exec. Um, yeah. However, in a, you know, a non-exec in terms of day-to-day stuff. Obviously, board meetings, financials, and all the rest of it, very, very hands-on. But also incredibly supportive and a, and a, and, um, a fantastic mentor. I've, I've mentioned this to a number of people uh, since. The one thing he taught me is very, very young. He used to say to me, "Your job is to make yourself redundant," and I never quite understood it. And it was only sort of subsequently over time, and I think back about that, it, it, it makes absolute sense. If, if as the 
you know, the, 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 the leader of the business, you construct it in such a way that if you went under the proverbial, everything would be fine. And in my case, I almost did. Um, and mm -hmm. everything was fine. You know, the year 2013, so the year before we sold, I was, I was, you know, at home, not unusual these days, but at that point, very unusual and hardly involved in the business at all. So I was just too ill to be so, but it, it, it more than, um, it more than survived. Okay. And, and then for you, once, once you, once you sold, what, what did you then go off? Well, you, you said you were a consultant for a bit. Was that on a, on a part-time basis? Yeah. I mean, or? to be honest, I didn't, there wasn't much consulting to be had. I think it was just a way of, I was on a three year non-compete first of all, um, which that's quite fairly long. It's, 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 it's so. very long, but I agree to it. And the terms of the sale were, you know, conducive to it, shall we say. Right. Um, so it's yeah. so made a person. And actually in hindsight, it was probably one of the most, it, it's been, it's been a brilliant thing. I'll come to the sort of what I did, but I've subsequently set up a new business in exactly the same space with two, two former colleagues. Uh, we're, we're, we're in a new business together. Um, and, you know, the delay of three years, number one, then kind of scrabbling around deciding what's next, then COVID. So then getting to the point where a couple of years ago, we got going again on something in that short, well, that, that short period of time, in that sort of eight year period or whatever it is, technology has moved on to such an extent, the new offer that we have in exactly the same space is quite groundbreaking. Um, had I only been on a 12 months or two-year non-compete thing. I got going again with something in 2015 and assuming it was in the same space, it wouldn't have been anything particularly different to the old business. So it's been really, it's really interesting for Flint, our, our new venture. Um, it's, it's actually been very advantageous to have been, for, you know, to have signed up to three years of, of, of not competing. That's really interesting. I mean, are you just building another business to sell to this? We're building, we are building another business. Um, uh, do you know what it is? A lot of it, uh, I'm a uh, three equal, um, um, you know, shareholders of this one. A lot of it for me personally is, is unfinished business. The, the business that we sold, you know, we sold to, we did sell too early in terms of maximizing value from it. And to be honest, the sheer enjoyment of running it, I loved it, I absolutely loved it. But I do look back now and think, you know, as there's, um, you know, we went too early, there were very good reasons why, you know, we went early, or I went early, but there's definitely unfinished business. So yes, building something up again, um, absolutely zero plans to sell it. You know, we've got we're building something that's going to be a lot more scalable than our previous business, and hopefully will take us into territories well, well beyond the um, well beyond the UK. Great, and um, in, in terms of the sort of the integration yeah. with, um, you know, you said that a couple of people left, but sort of how how did that go? I think integration went went very well. Um, well, I think I do. I think there's even still there's at least one person still, you know, that, who used to work for, for for me for us still still in the. In, in, in the company that brought us, um, it went really well. I think there was um, um, there were, and that, you know, different elements of it. There was obviously the sort of financial and HR bit, operational bit was probably fairly similar. Um, tech bit was a bit different. So I think there was some you know elements of tech that we had that they weren't necessarily um, deploying in quite the same way. So there was a lot of um, 
you know, there was a, there was a lot of work that went on to to integrate, but it all, all very very successfully. And indeed, they still have a lot of our old old clients. So it wasn't as if clients um, disappeared. It was very seamless. You know, and joking aside, they were all taken into into the into the arms of a, an incredibly professional, well run business who could provide you know as as you know a service on par with the service that we were providing. So. Um, um, and what your chairman? What did what did he go off and do? Uh, he he has a number of other business interests and 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 still still does. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, so sort of looking back on it, I mean, you've sort of mentioned that uh, that you perhaps went a bit bit too early, but is there anything else that you you would have done differently? I think the big one, um, and it was accentuated by the fact that we had to. Um, pull together information for the due diligence process and bearing in mind we had insisted on a six week timetable for the for the for the due diligence in effect it was double that by the time by the time we we got there i think we started off on the 31st of april and signed on the 31st of july something like that um but gathering information across the sort of financial technological operational hr um sort of um, verticals, if you like, um, to to satisfy the probing from their corporate finance people, advisors, and their legal advisors was a really all painstaking job to do. Particularly when it meant doing it when you know teams weren't in the office, i.e., late into into the night every 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 day or whatever. The thing I would do next, mm. and I've advised quite a few companies subsequent to do so, is to keep together. A kind of a virtual briefcase of of the business, and in that briefcase, absolutely everything um, that would be asked for by the other side doing doing due, doing due diligence. Having never been through that process before, goodness me, I was not prepared to have to dig out information relating to I don't know, you know, an individual we'd employed for three months in two thousand and one. But that was the sort of minutiae we had to go into. We we obviously had it all, but it. It wasn't at our fingertips, and that involved a lot of time spent, you know, trying to dig out information. In those days, not all of it would have been digitalized, and um, yeah. doing it in a way that didn't, in any way, arouse suspicion that we were we were up to something. If you listen to this podcast and think that sometimes you'd like to be able to ask some of the speakers some questions that are specific to your exit, I've put together a little event which will give you the opportunity to do that. So on the 31st of January, I'm hosting the first Exit Plan Live event. Um, I've invited three speakers to join me. Nick Berry, M&A advisor and partner at Green Square. Lisa Pasca, who sold her SEO agency firm to a network agency group. And Joe Lewin, the CEO of Foundy, an M&A marketplace. We'll be recording a live podcast, followed by a Q&A that won't be recorded to give you the opportunity to ask the speakers about your plans for an exit. It's at the Riding House Cafe in Fitzrovia who do an excellent breakfast and it kicks off at 8am on the 31st of January. Link to buy tickets in the show notes and hopefully you can join us. So that impulse to, well, that, that sort of condition that you put on it to have the due diligence done within six weeks. Yeah. I mean, normally it would be the buyer that would sort of set out the timelines. Yeah. Um, so where did, where did that come from? It came from? from specifically, I was really concerned for whatever reason that they were either trying, we'd, we'd won a couple of head-to-head, some big pieces of business, and I wasn't sure right up until the very end whether or not they were just trying to 
either take advantage of the fact that I'd been ill, which I don't think they were. They were nice. They were good people, but it was my cynical, cynical head at the time, or trying just to kind of keep up, defocus us from our, our day job because we were definitely impacting on. Um, yeah, we were winning some really, really good accounts, um, and um, it was on that basis I said, "Okay, we'll do it." But you, you know, we'll give you everything you want, but we don't want this to be protracted because if it gets protracted, I can't do both this and run, run a, run, run the business. And so the agreement was six weeks, and that they that was offered by them, and we we took it. As I say, in effect, it did go double that. And that made me feel quite um, uneasy that some of my initial suspicions that this was, you know, wasn't going to go all the way through to the end, as it were. Um, and there were a couple of times where we came very close to saying, you know, let, let's let's park it, sort of thing. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it, yeah. we, I, I really wanted to make sure it was. Um, and it, I tell you, it was so stressful not um, arousing any suspicion from any of the team because had it got out that we were talking about selling to our competitor who we were also pitching against that day you can imagine you know the, the the impact that would have had on the business you know we could have been in a situation where they didn't buy us and i lost a load of people who felt mm, we were, yeah. you know not being completely open with them which unfortunately yeah. weren't yeah um okay so with your current venture yeah. flint yeah. um what what plans for that? Yeah. How far? How far? How far? How long has it been in business? And and yeah. do you, we? Yeah, what, we spent. What, what, what? We we started up a couple of years ago. We spent the first eighteen months planning and building a, a, a platform, a technical, a technol, you know, a, a technical platform. And basically, what we've done is we we have a proprietary SaaS platform which enables us to create corporate websites for listed companies without the need for any. Um, web development whatsoever. So it's a no-code platform, which makes... Is it web, web, Webflow? No, no, it's built in Drupal, built in Drupal. Oh, uh, Drupal. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it makes for a really cost-effective, time-efficient um, solution for either companies that need a website. And it might not just be a corporate site. It could be for a one-off event, I don't know, like a sort of Capital Markets Day or something like that, um, who either need something really, really quickly or, you know, prefer don't have whatever it is, want to build, want, want a website, need to have a website, um, but um, a, an OPEX rather than a CAPEX model for charging for that website is, is particularly attractive because of their own sort of, you know, business circumstances. So we launched the actual platform okay. at the beginning of the year. Our focus is as much on intermediaries rather than going direct to the issuers, the companies themselves. Um, we are... Um, building up a network of creative design agencies, financial PR, and, and other type intermediaries that we're trying to market the, the, the platform through. Um, and as I said earlier on, it's unlike our previous business, this one's very, very scalable. The platform can work in you know, any territory, non-UK territories, um, providing we can plug in stock market data and regulatory news and that, and that type of thing. So, so far, so good. And <laughs> yeah. And are you following your own advice? Do you have a data room with everything that you need in it? I wouldn't describe, and it, as, are you... I wouldn't describe it as a room yet. It's probably a it's probably a, a smallish shoebox insofar as there's okay. not so much yet, but it's 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 coming. But absolutely following my advice in terms of making sure we have 
it's not that we weren't keeping records well previously, but it was, you know, what was it, 14, 15 years worth of a business, you know, um, admin. Um, it's a lot easier these days because obviously so much more is now digital. But um, in answer to your question, yes, I am. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Long-winded way of saying yes, I am. Great. We are. Good. Um, and, you know, given your own experience of, of, of selling, has it made you consider sort of the idea of acquisitions? I'd certainly, um, with this particular business, I suspect we, we wouldn't, but who's never say never sort of thing, um, just because of the way our sort of um, our model is working. But it, it, that's not to say we wouldn't. It would, having never done anything like that, to be on the other side would be, yeah, really, really, you know, an, an experience to relish for sure. And I suspect, with some knowledge of being being the seller previously, it would be quite, it would be, be, yeah, even more interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and health, and, and health wise, oh, yeah, all good. everything, yeah, yeah, all, fully, all, all, all okay, all, okay, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, fully recovered. Lovely. Okay, good, nice. Um, yeah, I don't know any 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 parting parting words of advice. I mean, most of the listeners to this podcast are agency production company owners thinking about selling their business one day yeah. um anything that they should be thinking about yeah i think uh, that's a good question I, I suspect and it wasn't necessarily intentional but we always kept really good you know relationships and regular contact with people that we saw as competitors peers call them what you, what you will um and not necessarily because we felt one day they were going to come by us because it might be we were going to go and buy them but i think it's you know, I think it's really important to have an open mind to those that are operating around you, and you know, and in a in a um, in a constructive, you know, friendly environment. Even if you are pitching against them regularly, um, you know, definitely keep in touch with. Yeah, you know, I used to have a drink or a coffee or something with one or other of the you know, owners of other businesses around us on a six monthly basis, and that did help out at the end because we did manage to sort of get you know interest from from three when the first when the first offer letter came in. So um, that was, that was, that was very useful. Um, yeah. And just the other thing, which is Great. so much easier these days is, you know, keep, keep your electronic file of your business in, in, in one spot so that when due diligence starts, you're not rooting around having to find things that yeah. you hadn't really considered. And they really do go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, every, every morsel of information is that well, they, in our case, they, they were after every single morsel. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you very much. Good. Thank you. Welcome to M&A Q&A with Nick Berry, M&A advisor to media and marketing agencies, who is a partner at Green Square. Each week, he answers one listener question. Right. Next question is about business asset disposal relief, which uh, used to be called, I think, more helpfully entrepreneurs tax relief, uh, but they've uh, changed the name. Um, a couple of times. Uh, so yeah, what's your view on how long it's going to stick around? We have, we know that we're going to have an election by January 2025 at some point. Um, and yeah, what's, what, what do you think is going to happen to that particular tax relief? Uh, I mean, it's kind of the, the million dollar question or the million pound question, given given the uh, the, the cap or the, the limit on business asset disposal relief is a million pounds. Um, I suppose the clear answer is, or, or sorry, the, the 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 not clear answer is that nobody knows for certain. Um, 
the Labour Party is going to great lengths at the moment to try and tell everybody that it's business friendly and it's going to extraordinary lengths to kind of court the city and big business and and give off a message that it's friendly to business and it really wants to help business to kickstart the economy etc um you know that's not new that was very much what new labor did back in the 90s etc and it obviously proved successful for the for the labor party and the, 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 the then becoming the labor government um if they are going to be true to that message then you would kind of hope and assume that they don't tinker or get rid of business asset disposal relief because it would be seen as a somewhat anti-business and anti-entrepreneurial move if they did that um so i think it's highly unlikely and 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 there is also the fact that if they did scrap it the tax revenues that it would generate are relatively small in the grand scheme of things so would they be doing it almost as a sort of uh point of note to to sort of speak to those in the public sector and those who are never going to get the benefit of, of, of business asset disposal relief or would they be doing it because they think it will you know genuinely make a difference to the overall income levels of the government through taxation on the flip side it's it would be a relatively easy tax for them to scrap without causing huge outcry across the the, the, the the mainstay of the population because it really is a tax benefit that benefits a very, very, very small number of relatively privileged people. So they may take the view that, right, it's something that's kind of against our principles as a government, um, if they become the government, that is, and they may take a view, right, well, if we scrap this fairly early on, then we've got at least four to five years in power thereafter. And by the time we get to a next election, people will have long forgotten that that thing called business asset disposal relief ever existed. So I think it's really difficult to know exactly what they'll do. But if I were a betting man, I would probably hope that it stays as it is. Um, but at the same time, if I were in a position with a business where I was looking at, at look at, looking at M&A and thinking of exiting in the next year to 18 months, I would probably try to accelerate that to make sure that I get the benefit of that business asset disposal relief. Yeah, so it's just another thing to weigh up, isn't it? Because I guess it's only the difference between paying 10% and capital gains, whatever that rate is, and they may play with that as well. Yes. I mean, um, but... I think that that's almost the bigger question. And I would be very surprised if capital gains, there has been talk of capital gains tax being equalised to income tax. Hmm. If that were to happen, and, you know, that would actually have a way, way bigger impact, you know, than business asset disposal relief being removed in its in its, in, in its own right. Um, and I think the other point is that, with business asset disposal relief if you are if you're the owner of a of a large agency then yes getting that 10% tax on the first million helps but if you're going to net kind of handfuls of millions from a deal it it pays it plays a part in your your planning but it probably isn't the overriding factor where it can be very very critical however is the next tier of people so if you've got senior management who are tied into uh, EMI schemes, for example, if you're part of an EMI scheme, you get business asset disposal relief without the normal rules of 5% and and other things applying. Um, so in that case, where you've got a middle tier of management 
that may be benefiting from a sale by tens of thousands or a few hundred thousands, then whether that tax rate is 10% or 20% can make a material difference in terms of the, the value that they're taking off the table. Yeah, I think no, I think that's a good um, good point. Thank you very much for listening to the Exit Plan podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review to help other people find us. If you would like your question answered in M&A Q&A or are wondering what's next for you and your business and want to chat about an exit plan, drop me an email on barnaby at foxcogroup.com or get in touch with me on LinkedIn.